0: <laughs> all right. this was my takeaway from it here's what mark mccormick said who built img into a, a, an incredible company mm. he said when you when you're looking at your you're looking at your p l and you're looking at everything all your projections everything and you're feeling good mm. do this double your expenses and cut your revenue in half and tell me how you feel <laughs> okay
1: mm.
0: the second is going back to being a, a smart guy right? And, and, and I, I kind of use proxy mentors. Okay, one is Michael Dell. Hmm. Michael Dell says, if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, get new guys. <laughs> if you still think you're the smartest guy in the room, get a new room. Sorry. Hey everyone,
1: this is Devin Miller here with another episode of the Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and sign up for some time to chat. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, and he's also a full disclosure client of Miller IP Law. Um, So he's even an extra special guest, but excited to have him on, uh, Glenn Foley. So Glenn is the uh, founder of Dome Medical, or at least one of the founders, and I'll let him clarify. I don't know. I don't know if you're the only founder of Dome Medical, so you'll have to tell us during your uh, during your uh, journey. Um, but it's a bit of a backing up. So he went to high school and went to school in New Jersey into a strict Catholic school, then went to Penn State or to college in Pennsylvania. Um, got a biology degree, left school, had no idea what he wanted to do and then he ran into a professor and uh of chemistry that it, it or that uh, it had told him that he should drop his class cuz he wasn't uh, going to make it he came back a year later, took the class, became good friends with the professor, later on in life, ran into the professor again after he graduated, and told. And the professor told him he should go into marketing, and that kind of set a bit of the trajectory for where he uh, led to where he's at today with working for Baxter Medical Devices, then going to a bit more of the cardiovascular side, working for additional co- different companies, and uh, continuing to move or go to Medtronics, and then after Medtronics, decided to go to the entrepreneur side of doing Lapras surgery. So, with that much, is a brief overview to a much longer journey. Welcome on the podcast, Glenn. Good to be here, Devin. How's things by you? Hey, things are going great. I'm busy as ever, and that's the way I like it. So, you no, got worry. it. You got it. I just need so to throw I, one thing in. We are we are Miller IP Law's favorite client. Please you are now. Now, full caveat. I tell all my clients that they're my favorite, but you guys are <laughs> as much of my favorite as everybody else. <laughs> So with that, so now taking us back in time. So, you know, I gave the 32nd or, or whatnot brief overview, but take us back to going to the Strict Catholic School in New well, Jersey and walk us through your journey.
0: Well, yeah, um, you know, a, a born and raised New Jersey kid, it will clearly come out in my accent, especially as I get more excited. However, it was tempered by 25 years in California, which were really great too. Um, you know, I, I kind of uh, admire and uh, I think back uh, favorably on the, the nuns and the, and the brothers and the monks, every time we, you know, we have to go through something and I, and we have to, um, uh, basically look at, you know, punctuation and, and, and all the verbal things and, and, and the writing skills, it just all pops back into my head. So, you know, God bless them for that. Um, yeah, just, you know, grew up, uh, in East Brunswick, New Jersey, exit mm-hmm. nine on the turnpike for those of you from Jersey. Um, that'll give you some, uh, some, some perspective on it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing, uh, love sports. Um, you know, really it was a great place to grow up. Um, headed to school at East Stroudsburg university in Pennsylvania. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was, it was a good move for me, you know, got out of New Jersey a little bit, but not too far. Um, you know, met some great friends, uh, got a degree in biology. Why? I have no idea, but I just did.
1: Because why not? Why not go to biology? Why why not aggravate
0: myself? So I took I got a degree in biology and 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 as you mentioned earlier along the way you know you talk about inflection points in life and you know when I was a freshman I had a chemistry professor and you know he gave me a you know a big boy talk and said look you know you're just not ready you you know you're not going to do well you know you know you know take a walk on this one and I said all right you know I appreciate your candor and I came but I came back the next year and as you mentioned you know I you know did well and he and I became sort of the odd couple of of friends. And I didn't see him again for a couple of years until I was actually, um, my father was a a, a Newark, New Jersey uh, police detective. So I used to see, he, he and I had this thing, we would always go out for St. Patrick's Day together. That was our thing at his place, you know, McGovern's Tavern. So he and I are walking in as we did every March 17th. And who's coming out in the doorway at the same time? That chemistry professor. Hmm. And what are we in a doorway that interchange that you relate, re- relate to uh, earlier um, occurred. And I went, wow, that's a great idea. Thanks a lot, doc. Have a nice day. And, you know, off we went from there um, came up through the ranks, uh, sales, marketing, that type of thing, um, yeah. you know, got a shot at, you know, a, a more of a entrepreneurial uh, spirited uh, engagement at Artira Vescar engineering, um, okay. Which we took in the U.S. market from.
1: Well, let me dive in really quick. So, see, sure. so you, you had the conversation, and, and you had been graduated at that point when you ran into the professor uh, I, I, with, or with your dad. I
0: was graduating in May. This was in March.
1: Okay, so you you're almost ready to graduate, trying to decide what you wanted to do, and then he he set you on the path to go towards uh, sales and marketing. Is that right? Exactly.
0: Takeaway: Pay attention to what people tell you. So. Uh, yeah, so that's so, you know, kind of, you know, moving forward, um, artillery vascular engineering or AVE, was a great experience because we, you know, we built it in the U.S. from Mm. ground zero to, you know, to what was then, you know, the largest takeout in medical device history uh, Mm. by Medtronic, became a Medtronic officer, um, exec staff, and, and, and was enjoying that. However, that's when it hit me that I much enjoyed, much more enjoyed being a a builder, than and then a maintenance worker, mm-hmm. and you know Medtronic is Medtronic; they're the gold standard. But there was something fun about taking nothing and making something out of it, where everyone benefited. So I kind of got that bug. Um, left Medtronic, did some uh, some other things, Precision Vascular Engineering, um, which we exited to Boston Scientific successfully. Then did a number of, of entrepreneurial things, and then we came upon this concept of of this whole idea of laparoscopic surgery and access let me
1: dive in really quick just before we go into laparoscopic and then we'll obviously have a good conversation on that as well but as you're going a bit through your career and kind of making those you know Different companies, you're doing different or different the different jobs that you mentioned. You're going along. You you find that you'd be, like to be a bit of a creator. You know, how did you? And also, some of the com- companies got um, acquired. How did you decide? You know, when or when to exit, when to stay. What was uh, was there a common thread kind of throughout those different companies and the jobs that you worked prior to what you're doing at now?
0: Um, yeah there 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 was and and it basically. Came a time where you you know you either looked at something and said, "Hey, this is going to this is going to succeed. Let's start orchestrating our exit now." And mm-hmm. and I think that's an important thing to recognize is that if it has exit potential and that's your end goal, then then run it that way, build it that way, and understand that you know you 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 build it to last, you manage it to exit. That's kind mm-hmm. of the way I looked at it. Um, and then there are times that hey, you know. It didn't work out and that's Mm. going to happen. You know, if you talk to entrepreneurs and they tell you, Hey, never failed. Well, then you probably didn't try hard enough or, Mm. or you didn't want the risk curve far enough. Okay. So there, there's always that little tempering when you have discussions amongst
1: uh, those of us on the entrepreneurial side. So, no, and I think that makes sense. And I mean, there's, I think what whatever the goal is, you should have that from the start in mind. Because some people they don't want to they build it because they want to grow forever. You want to be you want to be in the company for thirty years. You want to run it. You want it to be yours and have something, and you don't want it to sell. Then build it. You know, build it to be that company that you're going to enjoy working at for thirty years. Because I think almost to your point, sometimes you get people that will build it. And, but or they'll, they'll build a company, but they won't, won't really think about where it's headed or where they want to make, if they want to make an exit, they want to stay for forever. And they slowly kind of move it unintentionally in the direction to where it's no longer a company they want to work for. Right. So in other words, they wanted to work here at it for 30 years and they wanted to grow it and expand it and have different product lines, but then they brought on investors investors are always pressuring them to sell it. They want to make a return. And then you're, you're back in a spot where you're saying that this isn't what I want to do. So I like how you're kind of, you know, throughout that is build it for what you intend to do in the long run.
0: You know what? I, exactly, Devin. And, and I think there's also the aspect of understanding that there's a lot of people that are helping you along this, along the journey. And there's a lot of people helping you along the way. And I think to be very candid with them and let them know, you know, why we're doing things, how we're doing things and having them be part of the entire process and not just someone who's given a to-do list, mm-hmm. I think is really important. I think it, it 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 yields much better dividends at the end.
1: Yeah. No, and I, I completely agree. And I said, the the one thing has been interesting, both as I've been in companies and also watched them from the outside, is the ones that, you know, when you build it with intentionality, when you know this is what we're what our plan is, what our purpose is, and where we're headed, it makes it a lot higher likely to success, rather than, hey, we're just going to build something cool, and we'll figure it out later on, seems to be ones that are kind of the ones that never make it, or they don't head in the direction that would have been the most favorable. So, now, with that, so now we go, so you, you went, you know, you kind of navigated between a few of the different companies. You went to Medtronics, Med, or you went to a company that got acquired by Medtronics. You worked, I think, for uh, at, a, at a company that was in pharma and then went to Baxter and kind of all of those things. And you kind of stayed a lot in the the medical field. So is that kind of, you know, and then we'll get into Dome in just a minute, but the, the medical field along, is that because you had kind of the biology background and you were meshing now marketing with biology or kind of what made you gravitate towards the medical field?
0: I think I gravitated towards medical uh, for a number of reasons. And I think one of it is that it just seemed to be an industry that had had really nice people, really mm. good people. I think there was there was an ethical, moral, um, uh, common thread that you know that people operated at you know the highest levels, they conducted themselves in the highest levels. They had class and dignity, and I, and, and I like that on a day-to-day basis because there's not a lot of industries that can really say that, but I think it is really true of medical devices. Oh, that, that's what um,
1: people say all the time for the medical or the legal field is that we all operate with dignity, right? That's, that's what everybody is known for.
0: But <laughs> we've already had fun with that one. I'm going to let that one go.
1: Fair enough. So now, so now you, you, you navigate, you know, you, you take a few of those different jobs, you kind of build your career, you build your experience. Now, how did you, so you, and then I think the last one that you worked on and you correct me where I'm wrong was uh, when you left, you were working for formatronics after they'd acquire your company and he, and uh, and then they sold it to Boston scientific and you decided to take your step into entrepreneur entrepreneurism with the laparoscopic surgery. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a, a couple of things in between some consulting things, sort of working on some group projects, it was, it was a a little bit of step and stairs along the way. But Hmm. then as part of that, we came upon this concept of, of looking at laparoscopic surgery access completely different, rethinking Hmm. it, and just not just making a better mousetrap, but changing the way, you know, the whole thing was done. That had a lot of excitement to it, I had, you know, obviously done a lot of research into it. Noticed that there were a lot of different tries at, at different applications, different platforms to, mm. you know, to to make the access component of laparoscopic surgery, you know, easier, more calculated, safer, faster—all the things that you try to bring to a a, a an operative situation in medicine. Um, you know, we looked at that.
1: And well, how we, did you how did you land on laparoscopic surgery? In the sense that that's certainly not. A, you know what i say quote-unquote sexy part or it's, at least it's not a well-known thought you know most people don't think hey laparoscopic most people don't know what laparoscopic surgery is let alone kind of you know what it is or what the advantages are or how to improve it so is that one that came across as you're working for other companies or you came across an opportunity how did you kind of get uh, involved with laparoscopic surgery
0: most of it was out of um uh some you know round tables that i had been invited to mm. with, with folks that were doing sort of discovery processes on on Various aspects of medicine. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you one of the things that really made it an interesting proposition. Okay, Now, mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially in medical devices, you're looking at, at, at bringing innovation or improvement to, to, to something. You're, you're solving a problem in, in, in a market that has been identified, but typically it's not very big. And mm-hmm. what you're gonna do is you're gonna introduce a better way to do it and then you're going to grow that market, okay? Coronary stents was a perfect example of that, okay? Mm. No one ever heard of a coronary stent, and all of a sudden, it came along, and then bing, 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 and then it took off like, like lightning, right? Mm. So, but that, that process of building it and educating and building and educating is an arduous one. Here, mm. Candidly, here's what one of the most attractive things about laparoscopic surgery is is that it already had a, a base of 18 million procedures globally. Hmm. So if we could figure out what could be made better, more calculated, faster, safer in a, an environment that already had 18 million procedures and was growing at 6.8% annually, that was probably a good proposition and probably something that we should look at because we weren't swimming upstream if what we created t- brought what to the party what we said it would we're already in a in a in a raging river you know okay. heading out you know to, to where it's going as opposed to digging a moat and and filling it and 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 you know that's kind of my analogy there
1: so so now you have, okay, so you, you get into laparoscopic, or laparoscopic surgery, you say, okay, there's an opportunity here, kind of got introduced to it with the roundtables, you looked into it, there was a lot of people, a lot of procedures that take place every year, it's one where it's ripe for innovation and to change it up and to make it better, now how did you start to form or build a company around it, was it, you know, did you get the investors first? Did you build the team first? Did you start out on your own? Did you prototype it? How did you kind of go about now actually implementing the idea?
0: Well, we asked a lot of questions of the experts mm. and they all came back saying, yeah, if you guys can pull this off with the platform you're talking about, it, you know, it could be a winner. Now mm. that went through, and this kind of comes down to, to something that, you know, entrepreneurs have got to accept is that you better have resolve because mm as you know, the world is not here to cater to you, you're here to bring something to the world. So, you know, sometimes that happens quickly. Sometimes that is an arduous path that you have to find the right people to do it with, the right development path, the Mm -hmm. right investors. Everything needs to fit into a a nice box and then it can take off and do what you want it to do. But that will take time. It certainly did with us. There were a number of, of iterations of Dome prior to us hitting on the formula of Dome with the right platform not a product a platform with the right products within the platform the developmental path the investor path everything started coming together but that didn't happen overnight that took quite a while
1: and when you say quite a while so I mean how long because you're still at Dome you're still building it you're still growing it hence I mentioned you're a client of the firm with Dome um, but how long how long ago did you start it and how long you know how long has that journey been so far
0: uh, we, we began the first uh, con- uh, concept of Dome in 2015. Mm. <clears throat> so it has, it has been a while, um, but I, I tell you what, one of the things I learned, you know, over the years was, you know, make sure what, whatever you're bringing to the project that you have, you know, it's, it's better to walk away from the wrong participation mm. as opposed to accepting any participation. That being, you know, help on on an academic side and an engineering side and investor side. Take your time and make sure that you have Mm -hmm. the right people at the party with you. Then you'll succeed.
1: So one you know, one question that kind of comes up. So it took you five years, and you guys, you know, I think you're introducing things in the Europe with uh, coming to the U.S. soon, soon to speak. Yeah. But as you're doing that, you know, five years for a development path to getting things up and going to figuring out how to navigate things is a you know is is a good amount of time for anybody. So as you're doing that, how did you? Support yourself or the company. Was it self-funded? Was it bootstrapped? Did you s- incrementally take on investors, or kind of how did you keep that momentum going so that you didn't lose it over that that period of time? All the above. Okay,
0: mm. all the above. There was there was bootstrapping. There was self funding. A lot of self funding. Mm. Um, there were there were times that you know sideline jobs were 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 undertaken to make sure that the light stayed on while we we're seeing the vision through. And I think, you know, that that's a, a, a key thing is that, you know, visions don't have timelines. Mm. A vision is a vision and whatever you need to do to take it from point A to point Z to see it through, there's no rule that says you have to do it in two years, three years. There's mm. no rule that says there's any timeline. The whole idea is to take it to the market in its most pristine fashion.
1: Hmm. No, and I, I that's a, a good or a good point. So now, so now bringing us up to today, kind of give us an idea of where DOMA is at and then kind of where you see things going in the next six to 12 months.
0: Well, we, we've done a lot of focus uh, in the past year on our intellectual property portfolio, mm. um, which we're, we're, we're proud is, is moving, moving right along. Uh, very happy about that. Um, where we are today is we have established um, our first device coming to market. Um, we've got two in development, Um, We have uh, manufacturing set up, we have packaging set up, we have engineering set up, Um, we are looking at launching two investigative protocols in Europe, those are underway, Um, we are looking to file uh, for uh, CE mark, uh, sometime in the April timeframe, followed by uh, FDA 510k for our first device. Um, And uh, from there, we're going to use a lot of our expertise from all our years past as part of the team members that have come on, bring to the party and look at a commercialization effort in Europe. In parallel, we'll be doing the same thing uh, in the US. So from a very macro level, um, we have a platform, we have a product portfolio pipeline. The first device is, is coming to market, manufacturing, packaging, initial distribution, initial protocols for going to market in Europe. Um, you know everything is uh, has has been lined up, and we're ready to
1: hit the go button. No, I and that's an exciting place to be. I mean it's always <clears throat> no matter how long it takes, what you know it's <clears throat> excuse me, always kind of two fun or two things that I always think are fun phases of a business, or I guess maybe three. One is to have the initial idea, and that's always kind of fun and you can say, okay, now I've got an idea that's all you know that's exciting in itself but then the next thing that I think is even more fun is to actually make the idea right in the sense that you may be prototyping and be building it you figure out how it's going to work and i think the the third probably most fun stage and they're always it's always fun building a company is that now you actually get to see all of that work and time and effort start to come to fruition with you know whether it's you know you get to start to see the product being used you get to see the product in the market being selling and it sounds like you guys are certainly approaching that time frame you get to start to see kind of that next phase of all the all the time and effort and momentum that you guys have been building over the years really start to to kick in.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's exactly where we are. And the, I mean, the the couple of the the real three things that are really almost joyous. One is that initial commercial purchase order. Mm. The second is the response from the the surgeon when they come out of the OR going, you guys have a winner. And the third is the invoice that gets paid.
1: <laughs> no, and I think that that's so. You know, I can't. remember, I started a few different companies. One of the companies, and it's still going, is just a small kind of fi- family side business where I get employ, You know, some of my na- nieces and nephews, and my son that does it. And it's not a big. It's not a big. You know, it's never going to be a big company, or it's not going to make tons of money. But I enjoy it just kind because of it kind of as a side hobby and I get to work with some of the kids. You know, nephews and nieces and kids on it. But I remember, you know, even that company, the first sale and it was really like it was like a dollar or two because it's a pretty uh, low price item. It's just it's exciting. as some of the big sales, it doesn't matter. You know, this that excitement of, hey, somebody actually bought it. Somebody actually wants it. I'm not crazy. And it's actually well received, I think, is one of the the most exciting times of a a business. You get to turn to everybody and go, I told you so. (laughs) See, I wasn't crazy or at least not as crazy as you thought I was. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, now as we start to wrap towards the end of the podcast, I always have two questions that I ask, so we'll jump to those now. So the first question is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it?
0: Oh boy, this one I reflect on all the time. Um, and it usually comes back to the same one. And, and it's, it's kind of a philosophical one, not a, a tactical one. And that is that, that I didn't appreciate the value of, good personal relationships and nurturing mentors Mm. along the way because you know you're in the thick of the battle you're in the thick of everything the trees and forest syndrome sets in and I didn't I should have valued getting really expertise uh advice guidance counseling um, from from those that have been there before uh and if I was you know I'm I'm changing that tune now believe me and that I seek advice from as many people as I possibly can. So I would just say, don't don't do what I did. Please relish personal relationships. Really nurture your mentors and make them an integral part of your day.
1: No, and I think that that's that's a good piece of advice. And but you know, it's it's always it's an easy one to hear, and it's sometimes much harder to implement. In the sense that, I think almost every entrepreneur that I've known, including myself you get into the thing, I know better than everybody else or I can figure this out or I'm smarter and you almost have to be in the sense if you don't have that, hey, I'm smarter than everybody else, I'm going to do what other people haven't done, you would never get anywhere. You would never have the confidence or the endurance or the persistence yep. to do it and yet to your point, it's, you know, there are so many people that have experience in other areas that have knowledge that you don't have and they can offer it and so you have to be willing to say, well, I think I'm, you know, I, I think I can do this and I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm also going to step back and see what other people People are going to say, take that feedback because you're going to get much farther and have a much higher likelihood of success.
0: No question about it. It it should be an integral part of your day. That doesn't mean you're not a smart guy or you're doing all the right things. But if there's one little bit, one little hint that could be that can make you that much better, you've had a good day.
1: No, and, and I always look at, you know, on that note, similar but different note, I always look and says, you know, it's starting out of business. You're always looking and say, I, I got to do everything myself because so everybody else will never do it as well as I do. I know what I'm doing and they'll only do it. I always looked at it and said, if they can do it 80% as well as I do, and that's kind of where I tried to set it, Then it's time for me to offload that. and It's time for somebody else to do it because yes, they, I may be able to do it better, but that 80% frees up my time to do other things that other people can't do at 80% as well. And it really is the place where I can add the most value.
0: Steve, somebody once asked Steve jobs, "He said, you know, how do you, you know, how do you integrate all these smart people into Apple, you tell them what to do. And he said, absolutely not. He says we hired the best people that we can find, and they tell
1: us what to do. <laughs> I think mean, that's a very good, good advice from a, a good man. So now we're going to jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to someone that's just getting to a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you give them?
0: Oh, I've got a few. <clears throat> One is I'm going to go back to cultivating mentors. It's, it's mm. huge. The second is I, I used to read annually a book by Mark McCormick entitled mm. what they don't teach you at Harvard business school. Okay. I didn't go to Harvard business school. Okay.
1: That would so, make two of us. I, I read, didn't go I read, to business school, but it was not Harvard.
0: I read the book. Okay. <laughs> All right. This was my takeaway from it. Here's what Mark McCormick said, who built IMG into a, a, an incredible company he said when you when you're looking at your you're looking at your P&L and you're looking at everything all your projections everything and you're feeling good mm. do this double your expenses and cut your revenue in half and tell me how you feel <laughs> okay
1: mm.
0: the second is going back to being a, a smart guy right and 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 I I kind of use proxy mentors okay one is michael dell mm. michael dell says if you think you're the smartest guy in the room get new guys. <laughs> if you still think you're the smartest guy in the room, get a new room.
1: <laughs> no, I think that those are some great pieces of advice. You know, I think that you should be surrounding at least in with did different areas of expertise and nobody's going to be the smartest in every area, but get the people that are experts in those areas that just blow you out of the water because they're going to give you that value that you're never going to be able to add yourself.
0: Exactly. I got two fun ones for you.
1: All right, okay. let's hear them.
0: Going back, going back to Mr. Jobs,
1: mm.
0: he always said, it's a lot more fun to be a pirate than to join the Navy. <laughs> we live by that every day. And mm. the last one is, is sort of the, the real fun one when you're sitting around the room and you've been there, Devin, I've been there, you're, you're wringing your hands over what you invest money in, where do we spend it, where's the return, where's all this kind of thing. And you're sitting around trying to figure out what do we do about this decision, Mm. The great sir richard branson has the answer in fact he wrote an entire book about it it's called
1: screw it let's do it <laughs> that sounds like something he would say no that that, that definitely and, makes sense because remember what we do
0: remember we sign the front of the check not the back of the check mm. and we've got to make it a little bit of fun for us too
1: no, and I completely agree. You know, and there's there's certainly something to be said for, you know, making it fun along the way. And if you, because if, if it's not fun, you, you're doing it wrong in the sense that that's why you got into doing entrepreneurship. Because if you're not having fun, entrepreneurship and starting your own company, running your own business, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's not an overnight success. And it's going to take a lot of time and effort. So you better better make sure you're having fun because that's the thing that's going to get you through it. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, as we wrap up, as people want to find out more about Dome Medical, they want to be a client, they want to be a, you know, they want to, they're a doctor, want to find out more, they want to be an investor, or they just want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, find out more, and connect up with you?
0: Best way to reach out to us is go to domemedical.com. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's going to be it'll be a a, a good storyline on what dome is all about what we do how we do it the philosophy with which we take the vision with which we approach it and there's a a number of places within that website that you could use connectivity to let us know who you are and then we'll get in touch with you because you can never have enough friends
1: (laughs) hey that's always a very or very truism so Well, thank you, Glenn, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you listeners, if you uh, have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. If you are a listener, also one, make sure to click subscribe so you know it when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find us. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything with your business, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Thank you again, Glenn, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. Best to you and everybody at Noir IP Law. Thanks.